five, six, seven, eight. We're several months late, but happy spring, everyone. Um, we're beyond several months, actually, because it's not spring. Oh, it's winter. Well, it feels like spring because Spring Awakening Fever is in the air on Broadway with the 15th anniversary reunion concert this past week. Hmm. I guess that makes sense, because today we are going to dive into the show history of Spring Awakening. So hold on to your horses. <laughs> We're going all the way back to 1891 Germany. We'd also like to take the time to mention a trigger warning that Spring Awakening mentions themes of suicide, sexual nature, and death. Listener discretion is advised. We were all listening to this musical at like 13. <laughs> I know. It's 1891 and grown-ups hold all the cards. Headstrong Melchior and Naive Vendla stumble into each other's arms, passionate and curious, while anxious Moritz struggles to live up to the astringent expectations of society. Moritz flounders and soon fails out of school. When even his one adult friend, Melchior's mother, ignores his plea for help, he is left so distraught that he can't hear the promise of life offered by his outcast friend, Ilsa. Naturally, the headmasters waste no time in pinning the crime of Moritz's suicide on Melchior to expel him. And soon, Vendla's mother learns that Vendla is pregnant. Now the young lovers must struggle against all odds to build a world together for their child. Basically, the story follows a group of late 19th century German students as they navigate a journey of self-discovery and coming-of-age anxiety in a powerful celebration of youth and rebellion. Don't have sex, you'll get pregnant and die. Ah. Spring Awakening is based on a play of the same title written in 1891 by Frank Wiedekind, a German playwright. A three-act straight play, it defied the social norms of the German Empire. Spring Awakening's history is one of being banned in cities, having shortened runs, and getting few performances. It is considered one of the fathers of expressionism. So I dug really deep into this show history episode, and this is the earliest mention I can find of Spring Awakening being turned into a musical. So in an interview Duncan Sheik had with The Observer, he shared that Stephen Sater was inspired to make the show after the Columbine shooting. He felt Spring Awakening was a valid response to the fact that you have these kids who have all this anger, rage, and negativity inside them with no outlet and no one communicating with them in a way that can help. Unless there's a real open line of communication, there's going to be tragedy. And that's what the play says. Duncan goes on to say he thinks the play has impacted so many kids so intensely because it shines a light on that fact. While both practicing Buddhism, Duncan Sheik met with playwright Stephen Sater. While writing and recording Sheik's third album, Phantom Moon, Stephen gave him a copy of Spring Awakening and said, Read this play, and maybe we can adapt it into a musical. To which Duncan was like, Oh, Stephen, I hate musicals. <laughs> but went on to read the play and thought it was really cool. Thus, Spring Awakening the musical was born. Before Spring Awakening blossomed off Broadway, Duncan Sheik composed an arrangement of song demos for the original concept of the show. Back then, the musical's plot was closer to the original play's plot than the version we know today. Steven Sater and Duncan Sheik had originally intended for Melchior to actually... Our word, Venla at the end of I Believe, but decided to change that plot because he wanted the scene to be more loving between the two characters. Sidebar, the line's still pretty blurry. 
All That's Known replaced a song titled All Numb. Both songs had the same theme, but due to needing to reduce the time for the show length, All Numb was cut and replaced with All That's Known. A song called A Comet On Its Way was replaced by The Bitch of Living, and Those You've Known replaced a song called The Clouds Will Drift Away, which was cut because Sheik wanted the song between the three main characters to stay close to the All That's Known theme. Mama Who Bore Me reprise was originally intended to be performed after Touch Me, Another song entitled Great Sex, which was intended to be performed after the Mama Who Bore Me reprise, was also cut from the show because the directors thought the song pointed out the theme of the show too specifically. It was intended to be performed during Hanshin's masturbation scene, but the song was removed and the scene moved into the middle of my junk. After a number of workshops, concerts, and rewrites over a seven-year period, Spring Awakening premiered off-Broadway at the Atlantic Theatre Company on May 19, 2006. It starred Frank Wood, Mary McCann, and a then-young cast of largely unknown performers, Skylar Astin, Lily Cooper, John Gallagher Jr., Gideon Glick, Jonathan Groff, Brian Charles Johnson, Leah Michelle, Lauren Pritchard, Phoebe Stroll, Jonathan B. Wright, and Remy Zakin. This production ran through August 17, 2006, having received great reviews. The show then opened on Broadway at the Eugene O'Neill Theatre on December 10, 2006, and received excellent reviews, calling the show groundbreaking. The production starred Skylar Astin, Gerard Canonico, Lily Cooper, Jennifer Damiano, Christine Eastbrook, John Gallagher Jr., Gideon Glick, Jonathan Groff, Robert Hager, Brian Johnson, Leah Michelle, Lauren Pritchard, Krista Rodriguez, Stephen Spinella, Phoebe Stroll, Johnny B. Wright, Alexandra Socha, Matt Doyle, and Remy Zakin, and was directed by Michael Mayer with choreography by Bill T. Jones. Spring Awakening received 11 2007 Tony Award nominations, winning eight, including Tony's for Best Musical, Direction, Book, Score, and John Gallagher Jr. for Best Featured Actor in a Musical. The show also won four Drama Desk Awards, including Outstanding Musical. I mean, this show and the cast were absolutely massive. They were even on a Gap ad campaign. Wow. <laughs> sporting a colorful scarf that literally sold out all over Gap Manhattan locations Manhattan. within a day of the billboard coming out. Friends, listen, Jocelyn is laughing at me, but that's when you know you've made it. When your colorful scarf ad is so powerful that all of the scarves sell out all over Manhattan. I mean, that's how I know I would make it. That's how I would be certain that I am famous is when something I've worn is sold out everywhere. Well, there's definitely a shortage of red <laughs> scarves right now. So, oh, yes, thing. indeed, indeed. But moving right along, because this is about Spring Awakening, not Taylor Swift. Decca released the original cast recording on December 12, 2006, which won the Grammy Award for Best Musical Show Album in 2008. Spring Awakening played its final Broadway performance on January 18, 2008, with Alexandra Socha as Vendla and Hunter Parrish as Melchior. A U.S. national tour with a stop in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, opened on August 15, 2008 at the Balboa Theatre in San Diego, California spanning over 44 different cities and giving over 600 performances with performers such as Christy Altamar, Kyle Riapko, Blake Bischoff, Steffi D, Andy Mientis, 
Kamiko Glenn, Jake Epstein, and Matt Shingledecker. During this time, the first London production began January 23rd, 2009 at the Lyric Hammersmith, and then transferred to the Novello Theatre on March 21st, 2009, and closed on May 30th, 2009. It won four Laurence Olivier Awards, including Best New Musical. A non-equity U.S. tour began at the Shyock Auditorium on October 14th, 2010, in Carbondale, Illinois. The non-equity U.S. tour ended its run on May 15th, 2011, in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, at the Centerpoint Theatre. A production of Spring Awakening by Deaf West Theatre opened in Los Angeles in the fall of 2014 at the Rosenthal Theatre. So Deaf West is a theater company committed to innovation, collaboration, training, and activism. Deaf West is the artistic bridge between the deaf and hearing worlds. Founded in Los Angeles in 1991, Deaf West engages artists and audience in unparalleled theater and media experiences inspired by deaf culture and the expressive power of sign language, weaving ASL with spoken English to create a seamless ballet of movement and voice. This production was directed by Michael Arden based upon a concept by his husband, Spring Awakening First National Tour cast member Andy Mantis. The cast made up of both deaf and hearing actors performed the show in American Sign language and English, in which the deaf and hard-of-hearing performers were paired with a hearing performer who voiced the roles simultaneously. Many of the hearing performers were also part of the live onstage band. The cast starred Austin P. McKenzie as Melchior, Sandra Frank as Vendla, Katie Bowick as the voice of Vendla, Daniel N. Durant as Moritz, Alex Boniello as the voice of Moritz, Miles Barbie as Otto, Sean Grandillo as the voice of Otto, Alex Wise as Georg, Andy Mantis as Henshin, Krista Rodriguez as Ilsa, Ali Stroker as Anna, Amelia Hensley as Taya, Lauren Louise as Melita, voice of Taya, Joshua Castile as Ernst, David De- Daniel Stewart as the voice of Ernst, Trishel Edmund as Marta, Catherine Gallagher as the voice of Marta, Alex Winters as Greta, Marley Matlin as Frau Gabor and others, Patrick Page as Herr Sonnerstitch and others, Cameron Mannheim as Frau Bergman and others, and Russell Havard as Headmaster Noschenbruch and others. Choreography for the production was done by Spencer Liff, who reimagined the show's movement by incorporating American Sign Language into the show's musical numbers. The production transferred to Broadway at the Brooks Atkinson Theatre, being the first Broadway revival of Spring Awakening. The show began previews on September 8, 2015, and opened on September 27, 2015. It closed on January 24, 2016. The production was nominated for the 2016 Tony Award for Best Revival of a Musical and received all positive reviews. The Spring Awakening revival focused on making theater and Broadway accessible to everyone in the industry with disabilities. In addition to having deaf cast members, it featured the first Broadway performer to use a wheelchair, Ali Stroker. Spring Awakening also made history as the first Broadway production to provide interpretation for deaf-blind theatergoers. And now we've got some fun facts for you all! This is for sure the most fun facts we've ever had on a show history episode thus far. I think we have one coming up that might rival it. Maybe. But this is (laughs) thrilling. So let's get started. In the original Broadway run, the cast was actually on stage throughout the entire show. Michael Mayer wanted the audience to feel as though they were an immersive part of the show. 
Basically, audience members could buy an onstage seat for $10 and sit alongside cast members who would spontaneously rise up and sing. <sighs> you can tell Chrissy wrote this fun fact. Many Spring Awakening cast members also appeared on Glee, including Leah Michelle as Rachel Berry, Jenna Ushkowitz as Tina Cohen-Chang, Jonathan Groff as Jesse St. James, Skylar Astin as Jean-Baptiste, Phoebe Stroll as Penny Owen, and Ali Stoker from the Deaf West production as Betty. Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groff actually slept inside the Eugene O'Neill Theater before the end of their run in Spring Awakening. While performing off-Broadway, the Atlantic Theater had recently done a production of the Lieutenant of Inishmore, which had blood and guts flying everywhere, and it had gotten into the rafters of the theater and hardened. As Spring Awakening was performed in the summer of 2006, the stage blood began to melt and drip down onto the performance. Talk about a Carrie revival. They should have done Carrie that summer. (laughs) (laughs) One time during the Hayloft scene, where Jonathan Groff and Leah Michelle would always open-mouth kiss, Jonathan Groff had the stomach flu and said he was going to vomit in her mouth. Jonathan also said she basically opened her mouth and I was like, nah. Listen, it's not just that, but it's like, I'm not making out with you if you have the stomach flu. Go home. That's my nightmare. Like, (sighs) that's where the line is. It should never get to the point of I might vomit in your mouth. Somebody call health and safety. I'd like to speak to the (laughs) HR representation of Spring Awakening Broadway from 2006. (sighs) All right, so I can't fully recall this story, but I believe it was when Phoebe Stroll went on for Vendla. Her mic was still on while she was backstage as she teasingly handed her socks off to her dresser, saying the words, yes, you will take my dirty socks, which was broadcasted into the audience. The shoes the boys wear within the show were actually doggy biscuits by Snoop Dogg, which is truly a time capsule within itself. (laughs) I love that one. John Gallagher Jr. chipped his tooth during Bitch of Living on the handheld microphone. The stage of the Broadway production was actually replicated from the Atlantic Theater stage. It being a church originally gave the show the perfect ambiance. During the 2007 Broadway stagehand strike, the cast got together to perform an acoustic set outside the theater. You can check it all out on YouTube. Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groff would often sneak outside of the stage door in costume while the show was in between their scenes, and one night, they went over to the church across the street to ask for a Tony nomination. Jonathan Groff left $50 in the donation pot while Leah Michelle didn't have her wallet on her, and the next morning, he was a Tony nominee and she was not. The delinquency. Who was in charge of these children? (laughs) I would like, can you just imagine all of the like backstage eating food and costumes going on in that, in that theater Listen, at that time I am, with all the kids? If you stage managed the original production of Spring Awakening <laughs> after hearing these stories, I would like to say that I'm really sorry for you and I hope they paid you extra. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> Amen. <laughs> The original set design actually has a suit in a sort of photo frame representing Moritz's body in a casket. I also believe with that one that a light goes on the box. Um, spoiler alert, after Moritz dies in Act 2, so you kind of see it lit up or, or the light goes out in it or something like that. Something to represent his death, which is super interesting. 
you know what you left out of this? It's like my favorite Broadway mishap story of all time. Please share. There's this there's this video. It's on YouTube. And so it's Jonathan Groff. He's oh, talking yes. about things he fucked up during Spring Awakening. And um, go watch it on YouTube because he tells the story better than I can. But essentially, what's the song they sing when more Left dies? Behind. Left Behind. See, I don't even know what it's called because all I can remember when I think of the song is Jonathan Groff telling the story. So Jonathan <laughs> Groff forgets the words and John Gallagher Jr. is dead and everybody's crying. And he's just going, all things, all things, all things. And everybody's laughing at him because he doesn't know the words. <laughs> I love it. It's great. It's great. And to this day, every time I think I was in college and my friend did that scene and he did that song and I could not keep it together because I was I was in the scene with him and I could not keep it together because all I could think of was Jonathan Groff going, all things, all things. <laughs> anyway, it's on YouTube. So yeah, that's go a, watch it's that. a really it's a good video. It's worth the watch. <laughs> <laughs> so now I guess we'll chat about our personal experiences and love for Spring Awakening. Um, Hopefully not too personal. <laughs> Stop it. I mean, given some of the subject matter in this show. We'll keep it PG. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> well, when Jocelyn brought up the idea of starting a theater podcast, the one thing that crossed my mind was Spring Awakening episode. Um, so here we are. Was that before or after you told me I was crazy? Yeah, that was after. That was after. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just curious. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've mentioned this in other episodes, but the original production cast and the touring cast to me was truly the way NSYNC was to like a teenager in the 90s. And... <laughs> mind the Broadway performers I looked up to before this show were like so much older than I was at the time and then here comes this cast of 14 to 23 year olds and it made the dream feel like slightly more possible and reachable this was also like a time when social media wasn't super big so it was always such a thrill when one of the Broadway outlets would post a new interview or um Many of them at the time had like these super cool blogs, like those OG WordPress blogs. You know what I mean? Ah, throwback to WordPress. <laughs> not the uh, not the two hundred dollar blog fee that we have to pay <laughs> every year. <laughs> um, but yeah, they would journal about their day to day life in the show. The and link to our PayPal's in our bio. <laughs> our PayPal link is in the bio. No, we're kidding. We're totally kidding. Um, I'm not. <laughs> I was also so obsessed with the Totally Trucked vlogs, which when I think of it, that feels like the OG vlog that I, I would watch. I don't remember watching like vlogs before that. But yeah, it, it featured like the touring company and what it was like to be on the road with this show, which was super cool because before that, I just never really thought about what it was like to be in a touring company so it was cool to see them go to see movies on their days off and I don't know I loved it I never realized like they all had to share like hotel rooms together it seems like one big like cast sleepover which is so theater kid of me to be like I want that I want to have sleepovers so what did you think happened did you think they just like locked themselves in their dressing room <laughs> no I assume show. like they'd all have their own room but no that's not affordable <laughs> 
they're shipped in trunks from venue to venue. I don't know what I thought at 14, but it wasn't that cool. Um, Actually, this is how Christy and I met. We met through our love of Spring Awakening and Jewel um, during this time when she was on the tour. And later on, she helped me write my theater essay on nudity within the performing arts, which featured her time in Spring Awakening, which was like such a full circle moment and it was so cool to chat with her about it and um i got a really good grade on that essay by the way we love christy <laughs> altamar here at breaking the curtain we love christy oh and i also I, I dressed like venla for my 15th birthday because i'm totally insane like that i've also met jonathan groff who wanted to look at um the photos we took together and he was like oh my gosh we're so cute together and i swear to god i i died right there i haven't been living since broadway heartthrob jonathan groff i I just i want to be besties with jonathan groff okay tell me your experience because we have totally different experiences with this show okay so first off i have to say i always loved the music of spring awakening it's just that angsty teen rock mm. musical theater folky anthem thing like I've always kind of loved that sort of stuff and I think Spring Awakening really kind of like ignited my love for like that type of musical because ever since I listened to that album like anything else that has like the tiniest bit of rock music and angsty teenager I'm like yep this is the musical for me um but I first watched a bootleg of the show and listen I'm not ashamed because it's the one we all watched. We all watched it. And for some reason, we all never talk about the fact that we went in to watch the show. I didn't know anything about it. And then about halfway through, all of a sudden, there's Leah Michelle's boobs on my screen and Jonathan Groff's butt. <laughs> and Which- <laughs> I was not emotionally prepared for Can that. Can you imagine having those onstage seats? Like you pay- you're like, oh, I'm going to get the cheapest seat. So you get the $10 seats on stage and you get <laughs> more than you paid Yeah, they should be charging more for those if somebody's going to be getting that naked. Oh my god, I would have been a tomato. That's what I was. I was staring at my computer screen like, oh my god. So like, I stopped watching it, obviously. I was like, maybe in the eighth grade? <laughs> eighth grade? Yeah. And so it was after it had been out for a while. But somehow I still didn't know. So... I didn't actually watch the rest of the show until like I think a year or so later and I was like okay I'm gonna do it and uh I like it but at the time like and still now I'm not a fan of like a super dark musical like I like having a cry I'm a crier but you know it's so heavy and as much as it does have that beautiful resolve at the end and how smart it is and satirical and the overall message of it, I was like, this is smart, but it's not for me. I'm just like going to listen to the cast album and and, uh, pretend that I never saw those boobs in that ass and it's going to be fine. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And that ass. (laughs) And that ass. No. We all know. We all, listen, we all, everybody who liked Spring Awakening back in the day Definitely didn't see it on Broadway. There's so many people who have watched that bootleg, and for some reason, we never talk about what we saw. But we saw it. And I do have to say, you know, I'm pretty bootleg-friendly. I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but this is why I'm against bootlegging, because they definitely 
did not say, yeah, sure, film me half naked and put it on the internet for everyone in God to see. Mm. Um, but that is a conversation for another day. That being said, my kind of love for Spring Awakening was kind of like dormant after that. I just kind of like listened <laughs> to the album and did the thing. But then the Deaf West production came out and I was like in love with it. It totally reignited my love for the show. And I think what it did in incorporating um, sign language and having both deaf and hard of hearing and hearing actors. And then you have people like Melchior, who he both signs and speaks. He's a hearing actor, but he can sign. It's kind of interesting because like he's the guy who knows what the adults know, Mm. but he's still a kid. Like all every little detail in that production was so thought out, like nothing was wasted in it. Everything was perfect. And I really wish I'd gotten to see that one live. And I think that was kind of my big spring awakening moment of holy shit because making theater inclusive and accessible and pushing boundaries and you know that was when I looked at spring awakening and I said oh my god theater can do that I can go into theater and make something like this you know Mm. the idea of that things aren't set in stone. And it really also comes down to what I say about revivals, okay? A good revival won't just be a copy and paste of the original production. It will challenge the original material and present it in a new and exciting way. It's something that keeps what the show is at its core, but adds just that much more to it. And I've said it before, and I've said it again, and I think that Deaf West's Spring Awakening should not have been considered a revival under the Tony nominations. It should have been submitted for Best Musical because, honestly, it did more than what was expected of a revival. And it really is a completely new show with the added themes. Just by diversifying the cast, it took the show to a new level and added all these different Mm. layers that nobody probably thought about until they were like, ooh, it was right in the front of them, right? Anyway, that was the I watched the the vlogs for that one and oh, that's actually right. how I started learning sign language was watching the vlogs and um yeah, and then I went on and I spent I've since then I've been trying to learn sign language and I've actually gotten to use it a couple times, which is always really exciting because you know, it's I think it should be totally be taught in schools. But that's another thing for another day. But yeah, that was my kind of spring awakening journey. It kind of took me a while to get to where Chrissy was <laughs> with it. Um, but it's all thanks to that beautiful, beautiful Deaf West production. Yeah, I mean, I think at 14, um, I obviously didn't understand a whole heck of a lot that was going on. Oh, yeah, we didn't understand no shit. But there was enough that... <laughs> was so gripping and was still so relatable gripping yeah it was very gripping <laughs> oh leave me alone <laughs> that's awful why <laughs> it's not my fault it's the source material oh yes um <laughs> but no i i mean yeah it's set in germany in what is it the 1800s yep yeah, 1891, I think, or something like that. Anyways, even though it's set all the way back then, 
there was so much that and I mean this story was written all the way back then which is like crazy because it's sort of like rent where it's still something that's so relatable to this day yeah it was revolutionary then it's revolutionary now and that's why I was so excited about the revival because it took something that's been revolutionary since its inception Mm -hmm. and then became a musical Mm -hmm. which kind of revolutionized certain ways and certain aspects of musical theater like I kind of call Spring Awakening like the start of that like we always talk about those early 2020, mm-hmm. 2010s as being like the teen angst rock yep. musical on Broadway thing. Like Spring Awakening kind of started to spearhead that. and Yeah, it was the birth, I think. Yeah. yeah. But then with the Deaf West production, they were like, okay, how can we take this thing that's revolutionary mm-hmm. and iconic and take it one step further? And that... That's the key to a good revival. That is, that's just how you do it. But yeah, I mean, it was still something that's so relatable. I don't, I don't know if I can really think of something that was on Broadway before that was about, you know, gay teens being yourself and the teenagers and the wild sex and the rock music. You have this character who is begging for help from adults who are just turning him away. And then he ultimately ends his life and it's this whole scene of like was there something we could have done and the answer is yes and I think they all know that they all have that guilt inside them now yeah and I think you know and the whole song left behind is quite literally about that the guilt and what the parents should have done and you know, I'm going to say it, and this is my prop. This might be one of my more controversial takes I've said on this podcast. Um, I'm full <laughs> of them today. But I think that the Moritz and Ilsa storyline is stronger than the Melchior and Vendla storyline. Period. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I agree. And then I think that's the whole point is that Vendla is... How do I explain this? I suppose what... Elsa once was very naive. Yeah. And now she sees the world for, I suppose, what it is. Right? Yeah. And you see some, they're very different, but very you different. Know, you know where she started. And they're very interesting foils of each other in a lot of ways. Like, it is a very brilliantly done show. It is very smart across the board. But I definitely think, like, yeah. Very dark. Every time I listen to it, even just musically, like the Moritz and Ilsa stuff is just that much stronger. And I think that's more the core of the story than like, Mm. what is sex? The sex storyline is also like really important. It's about censorship. It's about not educating your kids. It's actually, it's basically an ad for proper sex education in schools. Like, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And to talk about mental health. And it is, it, it was also one of the first musicals to talk about mental health on stage, which was also part of that late 2000s, early 2010s yeah. kind of revolution in a positive well, way. Mental health. Yeah. Mental. For young, for teens. Yeah. Mental health for teens. But then also around that era, that era there was kind of a, a shift in how mental health was talked about on stage. Oh, yeah. And how mm-hmm. it was presented. And I found that that era starting with spring awakening and moving into things like next to normal you started to see like a difference 
because of the education that was suddenly there about mental health and these theatrical conversations just were growing and they were more inclusive and they weren't there wasn't a lot of fear about bringing mental health to the foreground of a story because people finally like I mean I don't know what the whole like discussion was or how it happened but it would just it finally became like a very relevant theme and it became a theme it wasn't a, a theme that wasn't a punchline a theme that wasn't there for a dramatic effect it was a theme because it's something real and everybody goes through it and especially mm-hmm. in something like spring awakening spring awakening is a whole thing of you know we're calling our kids this this and this and this we recognize that this is happening but what can we do to help Right. And so it's also the whole thing of them recognizing that their children are growing up and telling them, like, you have to start acting like the adult that you are becoming. And yet also being like, but you can't do this, 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 and this, and this. And it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting story in that sense. And you know, it's timeless. It's timeless, you know? It's very it, much timeless. You have to grow up, but you can't do this. Or like at 16, you mm-hmm. can drive a car, but you can't vote. You can vote, but you can't buy a beer. Like, yeah. it's all that sort yeah. of stuff. It's, com- it's the coming of age story. But then, you know, when it comes to these kids who are having conversation about uh, suicide, about mental health, about mm-hmm. sex, and about not even sex, but just like discovering your body, the fact that your body yes. is changing and not having the knowledge or somebody to turn to to discuss that, um, mm-hmm. right? Like, Yeah. Well, you have that gorgeous scene of touch me. Touch me. Which is literally that. Because you have Melchior and Moritz within that scene uh, going through a book, learning about bodies it's just so interesting it is and it's it's so beautifully written brilliantly written it's so so smart and you know I think there's still a lot that we can learn and adapt for and that you know it was something that was relevant in the 1890s it's relevant now and you know these sorts of conversations are still happening and so you know teach Mm -hmm. your kids teach your kids and if people aren't going to teach their kids then as a society we need to set up places where kids can ask their comp- ask their questions about so- that sort of stuff and get help and so if you don't want to have that conversation with your child there needs to be a way for adults to let kids know that that help that knowledge that guidance is out there yeah and it is to your point about the deaf west version as well in the original it was something similar to the point that they are given handhelds and that's how they share their inner thoughts and invite you into their world Mm -hmm. and I think what like you said like what they did is they just enhanced that yeah and it's really great you know I would definitely recommend like looking at some of the Deaf West interviews and stuff because obviously those artists can tell you about it so much more than I can but they had like I like how uh, Sandra Mae Frank, who played Vendla, she spoke of um, her voice, like the voice of Vendla mm-hmm. as being like the angel on her shoulder, who was like yes. guiding her to d- through this journey of self-discovery. Um, she, and I know that for uh, Alex B- Boniello and Daniel Endurant, who shared the role of Moritz, 
there was something similar there in what those darker things that he was experiencing were and then him being tortured by that. Like there were a lot of different dynamics that automatically got added. Mm. And I think the biggest one is that you have a show where the adult, the entire point is that the adults and the kids aren't communicating. And no. what they did was they went into that and they put a language barrier right in the middle. Like they yeah. inserted that right into the show, which was genius. Absolute yeah. genius. And how incredible is that build up of everything to get to that totally fucked number i mean oh when melchior when they ask him again in the middle of the song melchior gabor for the last time did you write this and he just screams out yes oh my god God, and the audience just erupts. Like it's, you've been waiting for that moment of just someone just totally snapping like that, and they all do. They all do in that moment. Oh, this show is just pure brilliance. Jesus, it's totally cathartic. It is. And I, I think we're gonna talk about this later, but that's why that song is probably my favorite in the so show. So good, so good. Because like as much as it's funny, and it is funny, you know. We've all had those moments where you just, you know you're screwed either way, but you just do not give a shit anymore. And then that scene itself is, it's such a pivotal moment of Spring Awakening. And I think besides the um, hayloft scene, that is the scene that you would think of is the totally fucked scene because it's another time of, it's another thing of first. When was there like a song on Broadway that was literally like, fuck this fuck that i'm totally fucked right fuckity fuck 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 (laughs) and now you have shows like diana who just throw it out in the whole song (laughs) but no you know what i mean and i still haven't watched it moment leads us into besides the death of moritz probably the darkest scene in the show is that scene between venla and her mother where she literally says to her why didn't you tell me everything Literally the entire point of the show. That scene yes. gives me chills. And that scene just, holy crap. Like, I just took my own breath away. I have goosebumps. Saying it. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me everything? And the mother is still so disconnected from her. Yeah, and it's like... I don't want to spoil anything, and I don't know if my memory still holds up perfectly. I feel like we've already spoiled we've it. We've spoiled like, so much, but... um. People know if they're listening to us that they're going to get spoilers. Totally. But Sandra May Frank uses her voice to say that line. And that's the only line I believe that she speaks in the Deaf West production of Spring Awakening. Really? I don't remember that. I'll have to. Yes. And and the Venla voice, um, Katie, Kate, Katie, takes a step back for a moment and she's like it's building it's building and sandra says why didn't you tell me everything mm. i didn't know that she actually spoke in it it's been a while since i yeah watched i'm gonna i'm gonna fact that. check that I would, before yeah, i I'd, but i do remember that and oh like we've spent probably 15 minutes in this section just to say why didn't you tell me everything that is the point of this show well that is the whole point of the show man Jeez, I'm having a moment. 
Um, and then it takes us right to the end of the show where Melchior receives that. No, what is it? Yeah, he goes to visit. Yeah, he gets Venla at and they're dead. the graveyard. He's going to meet her. And I believe they're like going to run away in some with their baby that she is pregnant with. And um, and he visits Moritz, his grave. And then he ends up looking at the fresh plot of dirt and the headstone says Venla Bergman <gasps> I can't I can't oh my god anyways 1891 not a really great time to get an abortion no but oh my god and they cover it up by saying she died of anemia well I mean yes it makes sense it makes with- sense but also mm-mm. but also bullshit um (laughs) okay we are gonna jump right into some listener questions and these are really old we asked for these ages ago because this episode has been on hold since the springtime um because we have no self-control um and we write new scripts all the time yeah we well it's kind of like we're very excited about everything yeah we always have things planned out and then new things happen and we get excited about it and then we just get distracted yeah anyway we're here now and that's what's important so the first question was what is your favorite lyric Mm. or line from spring awakening oh my gosh well i my favorite lyric is, and he touched me, and I let him love me, so let that be my story, which at the time we don't realize those are Venla's final words, pretty much. Yeah, they are um, in song, and I think that's so powerful. I also love the Melky Gabor, he's such a radical line from the show. I think it's um, Remy's character, Taya. Who says it i just love it so much <laughs> how about you well the one that makes me giggle like that is when hanshin's talking about the cat and the cream or whatever and oh, it's just yes. so funny <gasps> and it's meant to be absolutely filthy but it oh always makes me laugh um and blush because it's quite bold <laughs> but <laughs> that's a, he's a great character like, we don't talk about him enough. He's a great character. We have not talked about him enough, but he's... He's great. Fucking great. With the Desdemona scene in the bathroom or whatever. It's so funny. So brilliant. <laughs> and lyrically, there's... There's a lot. There's so many great lyrics. Um, I can't really... I don't think I can choose because they're all just beautiful and smart and... Very smart. I think the one that's coming to mind right now, and I don't know why, it's from Left Behind, the All Things song. Um, and it's, the, you know, the a shadow past, a shadow past, yearning, yearning. And like just that part of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Every time I think of Spring Awakening, it's like that. Those words just kind of like play in my head. Mm. I don't know why. I couldn't tell you why, but there's something about it, man. What's also very beautiful, lyric-wise, is um, Mm -hmm. Those You've Known. That's a really powerful one, especially um, for grieving. They're all just, they're all really great songs, which I think is the point we've been trying to make for the last hour and a half. Um, (laughs) Great cast recording. Freaking brilliant. Uh, Do you have a favorite song? 
I love the Moritz and Ilsa songs. I love Blue Wind and Don't Do Sadness. That might be my favorite song on the show. Like, mm. if I ever do a solo show, I need, I'm finding someone to sing that as a duet with me because, oh, it's so pretty. Mm. And I really it like is. Purple Summer. Like, I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. I get we it. Like, but that's actually one of my least favorite. It's and I funny don't know because why. like it's connected to the show, but it's not like necessarily like I like it because it kind of stands alone. Oh, yeah. I love it so much. Yeah. Song of Purple Summer. Mm. You know what it is? It's sort of like how I feel about Heather's, you know, when a show gets its like transfer somewhere and they have to change the lyrics a bit. They change mm-hmm. the intro to Purple yes. Summer. Yeah, I don't like that. I find it doesn't fit. It does, but it also... It's a completely different it does, melody. It doesn't, but I also l- kind of like it because you've had this like really dark show and then finally like you have the kids, the adults, and everyone like equally standing and singing together. Yeah. Which is kind of like, it's you know, it's kind of like Les Mis where at the end they're all singing and come back from the oh, dead. Oh, no, no. I mean the... um. The new intro to the song oh. doesn't fit the rest of the song. <laughs> I thought you meant like the show and I was like, I think it's a great ending. No, 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 no. It totally fits. Um, but the new intro doesn't fit in my unprofessional opinion. Unprofessional It doesn't opinion. fit the rest of the song as well as the old intro. Oh, okay. You know, do you know what I mean? It's like the ones like, child i can't explain no i know because i've blocked it from no, my no i know memory. what you mean i do know what you mean <laughs> yeah um, i don't like when um, shows maybe do OGs that like heathers would understand only the og fans hello the guilty ones form back in the day oh god ogs only anyways listen okay, i okay. wasn't old I know enough to be watching know. that bootleg let alone be in a forum <laughs> chatting about it I know I should not have been in that form as a child no it was all good fun I think I don't really remember I really don't recall what it was like I was mostly in there like oh my god can you please make me an icon with Melchior but like Kyle Ryabko Melchior Um like those little icons that people would have as their chat no i know what i know what an icon is (laughs) good sometimes i worry about you friend (laughs) anyways my favorite song is between my junk or i do like my junk i think that's my junk is like i love my junk so good and i had to learn it in french um (laughs) So when I turned, when I turned 18, all I wanted, all I thought of was, great, now I can be in Spring Awakening. In French. In (laughs) French. Because nudity, and I think you had to be 18 to audition for Venla. I mean, you should be 18 to audition for Venla. You should be 18 to audition for Venla. If there's nudity. Well, for all of the context of the show, I think you should be 18 for that role. You should be 18. many other roles in the show. Um, you should be 18 to be in that show, period. Period. But no, I actually, I went in for Anna because I love Anna. I think she's right? so Right? She's cool. my favorite. Like she's if I got so cast in the show, it would be Anna. Right? 
Although I went in, remember I auditioned and they sent me and I was like, I was like, I want, I want to be in the ensemble. I was like, yep, that's, that's where I'm most comfortable. And they sent me the Vendla sides and I was like, oh no. Yeah, I got Vendla sides a few years ago. And that was not that there's anything wrong with Vendla sides. Like, I think she's a great character. It's just, I like my boobs in my shirt right now. Oh, I was just I was really at a point in my life where I was like on stage nudity is not where I need to be. I was not there. I was not emotionally ready to be naked on stage. Now, sure. <laughs> not no. even on stage. It's okay. Um I'm naked right now. I think I'm the opposite at this point <laughs> post COVID. I'm like let's keep everything hidden behind my baggy shirts. I feel like post COVID I don't care anymore. We survived a global pandemic. Our bodies are strong and powerful and beautiful. And if y'all don't like it, you can suck it. See, with me, I'm like, for me, I just don't care to wear makeup anymore. But um, me neither. I have been trying to cut back on sugar. Anyways, that's besides the point. (laughs) The point I'm making is that I also got Venla sides to audition once for another production. Anyways, I went in with my um, non-Spring Awakening audition song, obviously, and they fucking laughed at it. And that's why I have issues with, like, those underground student-led drama productions where it's like, mate, (laughs) is this... (laughs) Is this because you did Heaven Can Wait, though? And you're like, it's from Bad Out of Hell, the musical. I did, no, I said Jim Steinman because Mama didn't raise oh, okay. a fool. Okay, good. Because, yeah. <laughs> yes. It was like, yeah, that one. I did two songs. I did Heaven Can Wait and I did um, Avril Lavigne. Um, Complicated, right? No. I feel like we were friends uh, at this point. We were f- <sighs> Maybe we were acquainted. Yeah, we were friends. It wasn't complicated. It was the other the um come on, we're Canadians here. Um I always need a time on my own. What's that? Never thought I'd need you there when I cried. Because of- No. No, but that's what I thought no, of when a- I was gonna say what song I sang. I'm Googling right now. No, no, we can't use Google. We must use brain strength. Levine. When you're gone. When, when you're, you're gone, gone, the pieces yeah. of my heart will be missing you. So it is like the because yeah. of you. It's the same note. It's the same melody. It's the same melody. Much. So yeah. we're not horrible Canadians. Um, But yeah, I, I was going to say the Kelly Clarkson song, Because of You. It's not. It's not it that. was When You're Gone. It's When You're Gone. Avril Lavigne. Avril Lavigne. And they laughed at it. When are we getting an Avril Lavigne jukebox musical? Because I need it. But Avril Lavigne is a great choice for Spring Awakening. It's that 2000s punk. Like, yeah. Come on, people. Pay attention. I killed that audition, man. That's why I have problems with the underground artist communities where they're like, they've not studied this and they're just there because they're fans like I am. And they're like, (laughs) I don't know what I'm doing, (laughs) but I'm going to take notes on my little draw board ah! um like in glee when jesse st james is drawing a cat while mercedes jones is singing 
that's what I imagined they were doing and laughing at me. And I was like, okay, cool, friends. Great. This was good for the confidence See, when boost. when you said that they laughed at your song choice, I always thought it was because you sang Heaven Can Wait from that of Hell the Musical. Because when I take that song into the audition room, people are always like, is that from the Bad Out of Hell musical? And like, we always end up having a giggle about it. So I always thought that was what they laughed at. Yeah, but at. you're in Toronto. I am so they in Toronto. Would know because it was yeah. there. The accompanists love it. They're like, oh my God, did you get to see it? And I'm like, yeah. Some people are just... Come to Toronto. Totally you, fucked. You need to move to Toronto. That's what that's what this conversation <laughs> is telling me. I was having my bitch of living moment, okay, after that audition. And I went to go get an ice cap because I was like, oh my God, I've never walked out of an audition where I've been laughed at when I slayed it. Like, clearly oh. you've never Anyways. lived. <laughs> No, but since you said Sad that, all times. I can imagine is like the as you're walking to go get a coffee. Thank you. Or the dun, 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 dun. God, I need Thank a nice you. cappuccino because they laughed at me so much in the audition room where I went to sing for Venda <laughs> and la la la. It's the bitch of auditions. The bitch, just the bitch. bitch Not getting just the role. The bitch. Yeah. Nothing but your book. <laughs> it's the bitch of living and I didn't get the part. Do they think I booked this? Um, well, who knows? <laughs> well, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> We're insane. Anyways. <laughs> that was our bitch of auditioning song. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, I'm Chris. She's Chrissy, I'm embarrassed, and together we are breaking the curtain. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode, this really zany, wacky, crazy episode. Um, we cannot do emotional or deep episodes because it just doesn't, we can't balance that out inside. I can't do emotional or deep episodes anyway, but you no. know. When I cry, I start laughing. Yeah, and then she just can't stop crying and it's just it's oh, a whole yeah, thing. Oh yeah, I had a total... I just had a breakdown because I was reading um, Kyle Ryabko, but called him Robert. And then I just started crying. Yeah, we <laughs> could do an entire blooper reel just from this episode. Anyway, good night, guys. And I guess the best way to wrap this up is to say, in the immortal words of Coach Carr, don't have sex. You will get pregnant and die. Be safe out there, friends. Amen. Stay away from haylofts. And boys named Melchior. Just boys in general. Stay away from Just men. boys. No, not good for the heart. Taylor Swift released Red this week, so all men are the enemy. Go listen to that. No. Goodbye, friends. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>